Hello, welcome to podcast with your podmaster Dev. A podcast about facts, geeky stuff, board games, mystery, truths, magic, gaming, TV, movies and much more. Stay tuned for more and drop a follow on Instagram and Spotify. Hello and welcome back to episode 3 of Geek Culture. Today we're going to dive into a broad topic of collectibles. So, what is a collectible? It's basically an object that people want to collect as a hobby. Collectible things are considered to be worth collecting when they become of value. For example, comics from the 1960s are highly collectible. As with collectibles, it's extreme that it is seen in record that collectors selling off a complete collection from start to finish is all documented and it's important so that there is legitimacy in that collection there are a lot of type of collectibles out there like advertising collectibles which are prizes and promotional items they can be small toys games trading cards and they usually found in packages of brand name retail products these are included in the price of the product so there's no extra cost but it's intended to boost the sales of that product it's kind of similar to a toy that you receive in a kids meal when you go to a fast food restaurant collectible prizes produced in series are used extensively as a loyalty marketing program so it's basically in food drink and other retail products to increase the sales through repeat purchases of the customer if for example you have a promotion in burger king let's say not sponsored by the way you have to go to burger king to purchase something over an x amount of value for 10 times and then you will be able to receive that gift and those are collectible prizes Another good example of how this scheme is implemented is through premiums. Premiums are basically a promotional item. They are toys, collectibles, souvenirs, household products that are linked to a product and often require tokens, proof of purchase or something like that. Premiums are used to refer as prizes, although historically the word prize has been used to denote an item that is packaged with the product and requires no additional payment over the cost of the product whereas in premiums you pay more you pay a certain amount to get those specific promotional items so premiums predominantly fall into three categories you have free premiums you have self liquidating premiums and then you have in or on package premiums so free premiums are basically sales promotion that involve someone buying a product and receive a free gift or a reward for example if you go to a coffee shop and you buy a coffee and you get a free muffin that's a free premium a self liquidating premium is when a customer is expected to pay a designated monetary value for a gift or an item for example if you are 
asked to spend a minimum amount on an order to receive a free collectible item. The in or out pre, uh, package premium is where small gift boxes are included with the package. So for example, if you were to buy, let's say a clothing gift box and you get another box with small gifts for free, that's an in or on package premium. So that's pretty much how collectibles work and what are the different categories of how collectibles can be obtained. Now we will look into how different brands and how different companies have used this strategy and how they have boomed into making collectibles such an important aspect in geek culture in almost all of the cultures actually. We will look into how they have affected the geek culture industry. So let's start off with something small. So this is a chewing gum. It's called bazooka. It's not a chewing gum, my mistake. It's actually a bubble gum, which is different than a chewing gum. And it was introduced in, in 1947. It's a product from Bazooka Candy brand, which is a division of the Topps Company Inc. So what Topps used to do was they changed their packaging to include a small comic strip with the bubblegum and it featured the character called Bazooka Joe. There were around 1,535 different comics with Bazooka Joe, and the comic strip offered a premium and a fortune. Over the years, the older Bazooka comic strips were larger in size, and they are no longer available. We can see one of the references of this in the episode of the Flash title, The Elongated Night Rises. It was referred by Cisco that his favorite bubblegum had disappeared in the 1990s due to the actions of the original trickster and prank. And he was referring to this bubblegum. Well, in India, we used to have something similar as well, where we used to get tattoos inside the bubblegum wrappers. And some people used to collect these and trade these among their friends. When I was a kid, I used to actually go to the effort and put the tattoo on my hand or on my arm. And later over the years, I just threw it in the bin. Now let's take a look at Beanie Babies. Uh, Beanie Babies are a line of stuffed toys that are created by an American businessman called H. Ty Warner, who found Ty Inc. In 1986, the toys were stuffed with the plastic pellets or the beans rather than the conventional soft stuffing which gave Beanie Baby the flexible feeling that it has. And the toy comes in many different forms but mostly animals. So Beanie Babies began to emerge as a popular collectible only during the late 1995 and it became a hot toy at the time. Then Ty systematically retired various designs and many people assumed that all the retired designs would rise in value the way the earlier retires had. So the craze lasted through the whole of the 1990s and slowly declined after the Ty company announced that they would no longer be making Beanie Babies and made a bear called The End. Sometime after the original announcement, 
that the company should stop production. Ty asked the public to vote on whether the product should continue. Fans and collectors all voted overwhelmingly to keep the toys on the market, and they continued to do so. At its height of popularity, people would flip beanies for as much as ten times its original cost on eBay. At the height, beanies made up to ten percent of eBay's sales, and some collectors insured their purchases for thousands of dollars. Ty still produces those cute little beanie babies with glittery eyes, and I actually have and own Waddles, which is the penguin from the latest Beanie Boo, and it's cute. And <laughs> I think I would like to own more, but not in the terms of having a collectible or a collection, but just to own a couple more to fill up the spaces in the house. So how does this all affect? one of the biggest incorporations in the world well they disney have something called disney ana which is a term for a wide variety of collectibles toys books animation sets theme parks souvenirs ephemera and other items produced and or licensed by the walt disney company examples range from products featuring virtually every disney character such as mickey mouse tinkerbell minnie donald many more they also include the different theme parks that they have and lots of other things and all of their products feature a vintage stock certificate and the company checks if these certificates have the signature of walt disney the ranks of disneyania enthusiasts grow exponentially throughout the 1980s and the 1990s today collectors can find disneyania items for sale through a variety of online auction sites and at regional international comic shows and other collector events the official disneyania convention and disney d23 expo are some of the examples of the events by the disney company that prominently feature these collectible items The company produces many other specific theme events at their parks and resorts to cater to the Disneyania collectors. One of the biggest things that people in Disneyania like is something known as Disney pin trading. And Disney pin trading is the buying and trading of collectible pins and related items featuring Disney characters, attractions, icons, events and other elements. The practice is a hobby officially supported and promoted by Disney but what is pin trading well a pin back button a pin button or a button badge or simply a pin back or badge is a button or badge that can be temporarily fastened to any of your garments or your bags using a safety pin or a pin formed by a wire a clutch and other mechanisms this fastening mechanism anchored to the back side of the button shaped metal discs either flat or concave which leaves an area on the front of the button to carry an image or printed message many thousands of unique pins have been created over the years pins are available for a limited time the base price of a pin is around 10 limited edition pins and special pins can go up to 
18 to 20 dollars featured artists and jumbo pins costs about 20 to 35 respectively some pins can go even beyond a hundred dollars pins are frequently released at special events movie premieres pin trading events or to commemorate the opening day of a new attraction some pins have appreciated well on the second market and have reached prices over $2,000 at venues such as eBay. So, what is Disney's take on this? They have a big community of pin trading, where pins have always been present at Disney parks, but it wasn't until 1999, as a part of the millennial celebration, that Disney pin trading at the Walt Disney World Resort was introduced. This was following an audacity of the mind function at the resort, in which the pins were being traded, inspiring the pin trading idea. The next year, the craze spread to the Disneyland Resort, which has become the home of the most pin trading events, but is most popular in Disney World. Since then, pin trading has spread to Disneyland Paris, to Tokyo Disney Resort, Hong Kong Disney Resort, and Disney Cruise Lines, with each location creating their own pins and traditions. Have you wondered why people collect film posters? What is the meaning behind or why do people like posters so much? Well, it's because of ephemera. Ephemera are any transitory written or printed materials that are not meant to be retained or preserved. Some collectible ephemera are advertising trading cards, air sickness bags, bookmarks, catalogs, greeting cards pamphlets, film posters, poster, postcards, tickets, and certificates. So a big part of this world is film posters. A film poster is a poster used to promote and advertise a film primarily to pursue paying customers into a theater to see it. Studios often print several versions of the poster that vary in size and content for various domestic and international markets. They normally contain an image with text. Today's poster often features printed likeliness of the main actors. Prior to the 1980s, illustrations were used instead of photos and they were more common. The text on the film posters usually contains the film title in large lettering and often the names of the main actors. It may also include a tagline the name of the director, some characters' names, the release date, and other pertinent details to inform prospective viewers about the film. The first poster for a specific film, rather than a magic lantern show, was based on an illustration by Marcelin Auzul, who promote the showing of the Lumri Brothers film, which is a French film, and do mind my French, Le Sourire, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Follow my Instagram and see the poster yourself. So that poster was released on December 26th, 1895. Following that, some of the posters which they had stored in warehouses around the United States ended up in the hands of private collectors and dealers. Today, there are thriving collectible markets in the film poster industry, and some have become very valuable. For example, the first auction by a major auction house 
solely of film posters occurred on December 11th, 1990, when the proceeds of the sales of 271 vintage posters totaled up to 935,000 US dollars. Early horror and science fiction posters are known to bring extremely high prices as well. For example, The Mummy received $452,000 for its film poster. The posters of both The Bride of Frankenstein and The Black Cat sold for about $334,000 US dollars. Over the years, old Bollywood posters, mostly from Bombay, as now known as Mumbai, especially with hand-painted art, have become collectors' items. Ghanaian hand-painted movie posters from the traditional golden age in the 1980s and the 1990s have sold for tens of thousands of dollars. Most modern posters are produced in large quantities and often become available for purchase by collectors indirectly through various secondary markets such as eBay. Accordingly, most modern posters are not as valuable. However, some recent posters, such as the Pulp Fiction Lucky Strike US one-sheet poster, was recalled by Lucky Strike, and these are quite rare to find at the market at the moment. This also tends to correlate with film memorabilia, which are objects considered of value because of their connection to cinema, and these mostly include props, advertising posters, scripts, costumes, and other things. When I was traveling around in Europe, I've always seen a few people that had backpacks with a lot of different patches on their backpacks while traveling and on their coats. And I came to know that patch collecting or badge collecting is actually a hobby of collecting patches or badges. Well, badges have been there since ancient times. The Greek and Roman pilgrims to pagan shrines made collections of miniature images of their gods and goddesses or their emblems and Christian pilgrims later did the same. Usually medieval Christian pilgrim badges were metal pin badges. Most famously, the shell symbol showing the wearer had been to the shrine of St. James at Santiago de Compostela in Spain. These were stuck in hats and in clothing of hardworking pilgrims and they assembled quite a collection as mentioned by Cauchere in his Canterbury Tales. The growth in the 19th century for travel for ordinary people saw a huge increase in the souvenir industry as these new secular pilgrims, like their medieval counterparts, wanted to bring back reminders of their holidays or vacations and sightseeing, ranging from china plates to postcards. And patches or badges became a huge part of that as well. The production of stick-on souvenir badges seems to have started in mainland Europe during the early 20th century, probably in Germany shortly after the First World War, when hiking became popular and people began sewing badges of resort towns onto their backpacks and jackets, which is probably what I would have seen. In the US, 
the development of national park systems, and the growing popularity of vacationing saw a similar development of patch collecting. Hey, they are a good way of showing off places you visited. Also, if worn on clothing or stored in albums, they can bring back memories of the holidays, vacations, or your day trips that you had. Comic book collecting is a hobby that treats comic books and related items as collectibles or artwork to be sought after and preserved. It has a major following around the world and is partially responsible for the increased interest in comics after the temporary slump experienced during the 1980s. Comics are collected by several possible reasons, including appreciation, nostalgia, financial profit, and completion of the collection. The comic book came into light in the pop culture arena in the 1930s due to the popularity of the superhero characters of Superman, Batman, and Captain Marvel. Since 1960s, two publishers have dominated the American comic book industry. Marvel Comics, publisher of such comics such as Spider-Man, X-Man, The Fantastic Four, The Avengers and DC Comics, which publishes titles such as Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Justice League. As comic books regained their popularity in the 1960s, during the boom of the Silver Age, fans organized comic book conventions where they could meet and discuss their favorite comics with each other and eventually with the creators themselves. As of 2010, numerous conventions and festivals are held around the world with Comic-Con International, held annually in San Diego, being the largest and best-known convention in the United States. From roughly 1985 through 1993, comic book speculation reached its highest peak. This boom period began with the publication of titles like Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, and Watchmen, and the summer crossover epics like Crisis on Infinite Earths, and Secret Wars. After Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns made their mark mainstream and got attention, returned into the comic book industry in 1989 with the success of the movie Batman and again in 1992 with the death of Superman storyline. This forced the first issues of the comic books to be sold for thousands of dollars and action number one was to break the million dollar mark. Another major breakthrough is collectible card games, also called trading card games. Among other names, this is a type of card game that mixes strategic deck building elements with the features of trading cards, introduced with Magic the Gathering in 1993. Generally, a player may begin playing a collectible card game with a pre-made starter deck and then customize their deck with a random assortment of cards acquired through booster packs or from trading with other players, building up their own library of cards. As a player obtains more cards, they may create new decks from scratch from their library. Players are challenged to construct a deck within limits set by the collectible card games rules that allow them to outlast decks constructed by other players. The first collectible card game, Magic the Gathering, 
was developed by Richard Garfield and published by the Wizards of the Coast in 1993. And its initial runs rapidly sold out that year. By the end of 1994, Magic the Gathering has sold over 1 billion cards. And during its most popular period between 2008 and 2016, it has sold over 20 billion cards. Magic the Gathering's early success led other games to follow suit with their own collectible card game in the following years. Other successful collectible card games include Yu-Gi-Oh, which has sold over 25 billion cards as of March 2011, and Pokemon, which has sold over 28.8 billion cards as of September 2019. Other notable collectible card games have come and gone, including The Legend of the Five Rings, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Vampire the Eternal Struggle, and World of Warcraft. Another highly collectible item that is produced by another brand is the Funko Pop. Well, Funko Inc. is an American company that manufactures licensed pop culture collectibles, best known for its licensed vinyl figures and bobbleheads. In addition, the company produces licensed plush, action figures, and electronic items such as USB drives, lamps, headphones. Well, Funko was originally founded in 1998, but then it was sold in 2005. And since then, the company has increased the scope of its toy lines and signed licensing deals with most of the major companies. Funko has created approximately 20,000 different products in dozens of different toy lines since the inception. The first, Wacky Wobblers, is a line of bobbleheads depicting various characters, mainly from pop culture, such as Betty Boop, Captain Crunch, and the Cat in the Hat. The company's mascot, a recurring character in the Funko franchise, is Freddy Funko. Funko's pop vinyl line of figure models in a style similar to the Japanese Shibi style typically depicted licensed characters from the franchises such as Doctor Who, Marvel, DC, Disney, Star Wars, Wizarding World and other pop culture entitles. After a preview line of the DC comic characters were released at the San Diego Comic Con in 2010, the Funko Pop line of products was fully revealed in 2011 at the New York Toy Fair. In March 2018, Funko announced Funko Serial, including mini pop characters inside each box. The first line was released in June 2018, and the featured culture characters were Freddy Cougar, Ilvira, Mistress of the Dark, and Beetlejuice, among others. At the Toy Fair in 2019, Funko announced a new line of pop vinyl figures, Pop Town, initially including Ghostbusters, Scooby-Doo, SpongeBob SquarePants, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. This line includes a pop vinyl figure alongside a stylized version of a landmark building from the source material. The mystery miniseries consists of a group of blind boxes that have a random character within from a variety of series. For example, the mini-series are all themed-based, which can include Five Nights at Freddy's, Blizzard Entertainments, Cute But Deadly, 
Disney heroes, Disney villains, horror classics, Asphalt 9 legends, the Steven Universe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Avengers Infinity War, and anime heroes and vehicles. The figures are styled differently from the other Funko products, and that's what brings its uniqueness to it. Unlike other Funko products, they are not usually convention exclusive, but some stores have them and are known to carry out only exclusive items. Funko has been offering convention or cons exclusive versions of their products at various conventions in various different cities around in the US. The sales of the exclusive versions started in 2006 at San Diego Comic-Con. On the same note, but not a rival, you have another company that produces figurines of popular YouTubers, which is called U2s. This company is a Canadian company which produces solely YouTubers vinyl figures, and they have over 25,000 figures sold. The first figure ever made was a one called Dead Meme, and it was one of Uganda Knuckles, a meme that was popular in the beginning of 2018. Collectibles can be a wide and broad topic and can be interpreted in many different ways. I hope this episode has brought you some information and some insight onto what collectibles are. Maybe it will have value in 10 years time. So maybe buy a storeroom and collect that junk for now. Thank you all for listening. Drop a follow on Instagram at at podcastbydev and leave your comments on this post. We will address them in the next episode. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and see you. This podcast was recorded at Lamprea Viva Studio. Intro and outro song by João Dias.